You're listening to the Culture Builders Podcast, where we share thoughts, tools, and tips for leaders to improve relationships, raise standards, and grow personally. We're all about working to do better and to be better. You can learn more at thriveonchallenge.com. So I've got an exclusive, very special episode that I'm going to be dropping uh, today and on Saturday. They are the first two sessions with myself and Alan Keane. Alan has been on the Coaching Culture Podcast. He's a coach out of the UK that um, you know coaches at the international level, also coaches at the professional level there. Alan's done some work with Mark Bennett of PDS Coaching. And we frequently have conversations that are just really, really incredible learning experiences for myself. I'll just leave it at that. And so as I've jumped back into coaching, I'm coaching a semi-professional team here in Ireland this season. I kind of started reaching out to Alan and we started kind of unpacking our season and talking about things. And we're like, you know, we should do this more regular. We should actually even start to share each other's you know, film and ask for feedback on different you know, film from practice and games, just as we're trying to apply more transformational coaching, more athletes-centered coaching. And so as we're working at those things, you know, it's, it's just really, really helpful to have someone as a sounding board, especially someone like Alan, who's really, really exceptional at that. And as we're kind of talking about putting this together every week, we said, well, why don't we invite other coaches to be a part of it? And so that's where we've got this idea of the sideline series. And uh, we are going to meet every week. We're going to unpack our seasons. We're going to talk about what's tough, what's difficult, what's going well. We're going to bring out film and we're going to invite coaches to be a part of that Zoom call and they can hop on or they can just come back and during the week, uh, watch the film or the recording of our call. And um, so at today's episode, which I'm sharing with you is our conversation. This has also been posted on YouTube and uh, we will be posting another one later this week on YouTube, uh, kind of the second session. Uh, and also on the Culture Builders podcast. So you'll get kind of session one, session two. We're going to really dive into some film and some of my challenges in session two. This is kind of just an overview as we're kind of getting started. Uh, if you want to continue after these, if you find these to be really valuable and you want to continue to be a part of these conversations, uh, to be a, even join us on these Zoom calls, ask questions, offer your own insights, uh, have access to the recordings, then you can join the sideline series. There will be a link to a Google form to sign up in the details of this episode. Also, I'll be posting it on social media. It'll be on the TOC newsletter this week as well. So it's just a really unique opportunity to kind of join Alan and myself as we are gonna be very vulnerable, very transparent about some of our struggles, but also you're gonna get to see in action us you know, trying to implement these things and the progression that takes place, the failures that take place and how we learn from those mistakes, those failures. And I think it's just going to be incredible value. Uh, But you can make up your own mind and then let us know if you're interested. Uh, So I'll just go ahead and I'm going to turn it over to Alan and just kind of share our first session with you. So JP, you're back into coaching. You're back on the sideline with the rest of us and having, having had having still been on a wonderful journey of helping and supporting others, how does, it, how does it feel to be back out there? I'd say like you're out of it for four or five years, almost five years now. 
there's so much to catch up on. <laughs> Just even, I mean, from a tactical or technical standpoint, the game evolves so quickly, you know? Mm-hmm. And so you're out of it for a while. I'd have to say, I mean, it's just been exciting and I've enjoyed it thoroughly, like, but it has been really challenging, really challenging. You, know, you take away all the stuff that already comes with just the uncertainty of COVID on top of that and, and you get back into it and you're coaching at a high level at the uh, semi-professional level here in Ireland. So it's just, I'd say it's really challenging because over the last five years, my perception of what coaching is has changed drastically. What effective coaching is has changed drastically. So you're trying to be a different coach than you were five years ago, but you haven't had any reps. <laughs> so that's, I would say that's probably the hardest thing about it. Yeah, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? Because, and and the, what you use the word reps there, I think that's something when you're trying to do something well, I mean, as a coach, it's easy as a player because when we were players, if when we wanted to be better shooters, we just repped it. You know, we wanted to be better ball handlers, we repped it. But I wonder how often do we think about repetition as coaches? Like, how often do we think if I want to be a, if I want to facilitate an environment a certain way, is it a case of I just go out and do it because I heard about this on a podcast or I read about this in an article? Like, this is a really good way to coach, but. Then having an under that's fine, but then having an understanding, I need repetitions with this stuff. And I've got to be okay with that, that this takes time and there's a ripple effect. Mm. And, and yeah. I, find, I find when I went, when, as I'm going through the journey of, say, let's call it athlete centered coaching and, and transformational coaching, which you often advocate and talk about the value and power of that, like I, I'm still at the stage now where I have to remind myself. That tonight wasn't good and that's okay. I need to I need to go back and reflect about how I can do it better because I need more repetitions with facilitating the environment so it's more player engaged or has a more positive feel to it where players are learning and learning how to be independent thinkers, you know, learning how mm-hmm. to be self-sufficient and not just me having an expectation that because I put this two concept or principle into the session that they will do it. When I taught them how to shoot, they didn't become great shooters the following week, you know, and I, mm-hmm. and I think that's one of the biggest challenges on us as coaches. I, I would say it sometimes we can make it sound easy. Like you say, like you listen to a podcast with yourself or Mark or, you know, if I'm talking about some sort of idea, you know, and, and we can communicate that in a way that people understand it. So you're trying to at least communicate it in a way people understand it. So they get it. And you see, you have these ideas of like, okay, this is going to be an intervention. You know, how I'm going to come in there and run a certain session of practice. And um, you get into it and it is very, very challenging because you're still having to coach all the other elements that you, you know, or, or be, be aware of those things. And so just from, like you said, the reps is a hard thing, but then you just mentioned there, the players reps. And I wouldn't even say players getting reps. I would say you're trying, what I think is probably where I fear get the most doubt or I wouldn't even say resistance, but I just feel like just, maybe, and I don't want to say bought in, but just really engaged with what we're trying to do as far as, you know, inter, you know, player interventions within the own, their own practice, you know, like where they're stepping up and they're communicating more, asking them a question and getting them to actually genuinely respond and putting thought into it uh, rather than just telling you 
what you want to hear or just telling you something so we can move on to the next part, right? I think the resistance there is just comes from a place of this is different for me and I'm not sure why he's doing this. Yeah, I think it's a massive, I think when I've spoke to coaches or, you know, you've got some feedback on some of these podcasts we've done previously mm-hmm. and coaches reach out and say, well, actually, I really like that concept and those principles you're talking about, but it's difficult. And I'm sure it's easier with your players because they're semi-pro or pro players. And my response to that is, and the context, JP, you're working with a senior team, right? Mm-hmm. So my reply to to that always is it's a lot easier with the younger the player the easier this is mm-hmm. and it, it, it's you know and, and it's obvious when you think about it because when you're working with a senior player who's used to being coached a certain way and has all their experiences with a let's call it traditional style of coaching let's call it a coach-led approach when you're used to being coached that way and you come into an environment and all of a sudden this coach wants to bring you on the journey where you have a voice and a choice and where you want need to be thinking, acting and behaving your way through a performance. And that's important. And the envi- that's important to everybody in the environment. I think that can be a rocky road, a real rocky road and a real bumpy journey for a player to actually, number one, accept that way of coaching. Number two, see value in it. And number three, execute that style of performance based on those principles of coaching. That's a really rough journey for some players who've been playing for 15 years a certain way. And they've been successful. And, and they've been successful. Great. <laughs> great. If, point. if you've won a you've won a cup, you won a championship, you won a league. I mean, the club I'm here has had some success. They were a little down last year, but they didn't even get to finish because of COVID. So they've won before. So you've won doing it in a certain way. I mean, this doesn't imply to just you know, trying to take that player-led transformational approach. I mean, it's the, the offense you run, the defense you run, anything you try to change from what led to previous success is people are going to go, why? You know, they're not, and they're not, there isn't, there's a lot of open minds here and there isn't a lot of re, you know, real resistance, but there's just, you just know people are, you know, we haven't really got into games yet. You know, if you drop, you lose your first four games, they're probably going to start to really question why you're doing this, this mm-hmm. approach. But I, I mean, I, we've seen buy-in to it, but I think the other thing too is it's very, my, I have great players. They're really, you, you do any coach led intervention and they will raise their level right away. Like you get on them the slightest, they will respond eagerly. So there's this temptation to just stick to those type of old ways of doing it because it's what they want right now. They, I mean, they've said, we, you know, we, you know, we want you to get on us. We want you to get on us. We want you to get on us. Like, you know, and so you're trying to balance as a coach who you want to be, where you want in the type of program and, and, and club that, and team that you want to develop, but also having to meet your players where they're currently at, you know, like you can't just come in and change everything and you have to, we were talking the other day and I've been using this slow drip certain things, you know? And I think sometimes my biggest error, if I look at my practice sessions is when I do my practice plans, there's activity 
there is a spot for the success criteria, which I probably set the most, you know, and I like, you know, I use that term from you, but like, I probably set that 75% of the time plus, but then there's intervention. And I'm always trying to go to get an intervention that's going to really encourage player, you know, it's going to be a question or it's going to be some sort of reset or, you know, and I'm probably, that's probably my, my biggest mistake early on is I've been trying to go player centered coaching player, um, let players lean those interventions uh, all the time when they, I probably need to have done a better job of slow dripping some of that stuff, you know? It's definitely, I, I personally think from my experience with it, and, and I'm, when I'm talking about experience, JP, I'm talking about experience of getting it wrong as well as getting it right. For me, it's a, there, there, it is a sliding scale. You know, it has to be a sliding scale between, being, between telling them and asking them, mm-hmm. between being coach-led, athlete-centered-led for what those definitions mean. It has to be a sliding scale because otherwise, it's a bit like being a school teacher and you know you start the year and you 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 start the year with the full curriculum. They're not ready to receive the full curriculum. We've got to go bit by bit, and then we've got to go bit by bit with assessing what they've learned, which means we have to step away as coaches. And now we're starting to build the environment we want to build. But before we get into what that looks like, because I think there's this could go in a great direction in so many different ways. Let's let's discuss, or let me ask you, why do, why are you approaching coaching this way? If, and you made a really interesting statement a moment ago. Sometimes they just want you to tell them, you know, they just want you to give mm-hmm. them the answers. But why are you resisting that? Why are you going in the direction you're going with your coaching this season? I would say two big drivers. You know, one is that I just know long uh, to maximize our performance, it will be an athlete-centered environment where they are, where we can develop and they can be in tune. They can make adjustments on the court. I don't have to call timeout every time things fall apart. They're, they're more aware. They can be like, I just will be a better team. Like we'll be more successful, I think, at the end of the day than if I have to always be telling them everything. And I would say the second thing is even more long-term is we've got some older players in the club, you know, 30 years old, 29, 29, 28. They're coaching in the club. You know, they're, they're, they're coaching under 18s, they're coaching under 20s, they're under 16s. Like they're the coaches of this club. And I think personally, I have a mission or purpose to, to help facilitate their growth as leaders, you know, I think they maybe some of them maybe have aspirations. I know some of them have to, to continue, continue in coaching, maybe continue at the coach at the super league level. So I want to help develop them as player coach is on there because I think that that for the long term, for their own growth and for the long term growth of the club, I think that will serve them. And I think like this is where I think we're very much in sync. I know we're very much in sync because we've had these discussions. But I asked you that question because I get that pushback every season. So in my environment, we bring in mm. two import players. Very often they're American imports or, you know, they're overseas outside of Europe, basically, and mostly American. And I get a lot of pushback from those guys early on with this way of coaching because for most of them, they're not used to it. And I find 
on one hand, I, I'm looking at myself going, it was unfair of me to coach that player this way without informing that player why I'm going to, just the way I'm going to coach you and why I'm going to coach you this way. Because why, why am I saying I feel it's unfair? I feel it's unfair now as I look back on it. Because I think I'm setting them up for a fail if they're not used to being coached in a way where I want them to be self-sufficient, self-managing, self-regulate. All that, all that stuff that sounds great but, and is great, but it's really difficult. and takes time for somebody to actually, number one, understand it, let alone being able to behave your way through it. It's very difficult to do. So, for, and, and, and my way to, again, I'm looking for a different word with this, JP, but I'll say it anyway. To, the way I sell the value to these guys is this. I always ask them, like, what kind, what do you want for your future? Because mm. I feel if I can connect them to a bigger picture, then the buy-in will be easier. Whereas if I connect them to something that's very soon, the here and now, they won't see the results because it takes time to, to evolve. It takes time to embed. It takes time to get used to and then to execute the type of coaching or the type of play, the type of performance that we're trying to get them to, to do. So I asked them, like, what do, you, what, what's a, what do you at your best look like in the future? You know, we get past all the physical, the technical, tactical, and we get very much onto the, the cognitive side of the game, decision-making. And we say, well, what separates two players of the same skill set, of the same physical ability at a high level? What separates those two guys? The player will very often come back and tell you decision-making. That guy is a better decision-maker. Okay, well, mm. if, that, if a decision-making element is part of a high performance, then how can I coach you in a way that's going to help you be a better decision-maker? It'll ultimately lead them to say, well, you've got to allow me to make decisions and learn from my mistakes and then support me and help me with a better decision. Perfect. So my, that's the way I always angle it with the guys because I want them to find. It's not always easy because people are tricky at times. But I want them to find the value in this more than me say, well, here's the value X, Y, and Z. I want it to be a discussion where they actually, mm -hmm. you almost have them like Stephen Rolnick terms, change talk. You can almost facilitate that conversation where the, the change in route in that conversation comes from their voice and their thoughts, not from me saying it and them being compliant. Because that's a cosmetic level anyway. That's a surface level um, of a conversation if somebody's just compliant for the sake of it. So I, I, that's one way I, I, I really advocate going with the player to get them to understand the value, helping them to be a better decision maker on the court. But what you, you, I'm going to jump in real quick there. Have you had those conversations already this season with your American imports? I'm curious, you know, if, is, is that something that you're continuously having? I mean, what type of conversation you're talking about there is, once again, it's an athlete-led kind of conversation, right? You're not coming in and telling them why you do it. You're trying to have a conversation about the value. So have you had those conversations yet? It's interesting, isn't it? Because you're covertly having an athlete-centered approach to getting them to see the value in an athlete-centered approach. <laughs> you're absolutely right. Like the conversation's an athlete-centered kind of um, direction anyway. We have, we have, and we haven't had just one JP. Like, let me give you some context. On my team this year, I have seven senior players and the other five are the top end academy guys. So these guys are trying to get into college in the States next year or, you know, get into university here in the UK. So they're 18 years old, but the mm -hmm. seven, and those guys are easy. 
they're an easy win for me because they're in the academy for the past two years. I have them every day. So getting yeah. them to buy and see value and stuff, I can see the ripple effect with them because they're with me long enough over a two-year period. To see the ripple effect with a, with a senior player isn't always as fruitful because they might just start becoming good at this stuff when it's time to leave you, you know, like really good. And, and some of the American players have shared that in the past um, where they felt like it takes, it takes time to really bring this to life. When you're under pressure, I'm talking about in performance, not necessarily in practice. You can see quick wins in practice pretty soon. But actually, when pressure hits and it's the performance and the results matter and their statistics matter and the wins and losses matter for their next contract, they can very much regress to the mean and go back to what they're used to, which is, which is like, tell me, what, tell me what the solution is. But yes, to answer your question, we've had these conversations a few times. We actually had one on Tuesday night where we had to sit in a circle as a group and we had to have a discussion about what, the, what is performance? What is, a high, what is an effective performance? What is an effective player look like? And, and thirdly, what does an effective coach look like? And we, we unpicked it again, and some of the guys are further along the line than others. So for some, they were able to rattle it off. They get it. They know the theory, let's say. They know the theory. They could describe to you what it should look like in a practice session, what it should look like in a game. Whereas others are like, whoa, this is all new to me. I just came to this club a month ago. I've never heard of a voice and a choice being required from a player. I've never heard of this thing you call the rule of three. I've never heard of, you're, you're, ask, you're asking me to, to think, act, and behave my way through a performance? Like, that's, that's an incredible one. You're asking me to think, act, and behave my way through a performance. Because we use that sentence a lot. Because mm. that, I feel that quite summarizes the journey. We want you to think. We want you to act on your thoughts, commit to them first, and then act on them. And then we want you to, to have a, a behavior way through your performance on the court. So for some guys, this was fine. Other guys, it's, it's, it's hit and miss. It's not landing. It is landing. It doesn't stick. You have to re re revisit it again. So was what that the that whole team when you sat down? The whole team. So last Tuesday was the whole team. Yeah. But what, up to that point, it would have been whole team, individuals. We're back to whole team last Tuesday. Tomorrow in practice, it might be five minutes before, before practice. I have recognized from Tuesday night that one, two, I can think of two guys off the top of my head immediately who I'm now going to make a beeline for before practice tomorrow night and just have a one-to-one have -a -one conversation and say, what's your thoughts about what we talked about on Tuesday? And it's my job, it's my responsibility, JP, to keep that conversation alive until, until I no longer feel the need to. Because mm -hmm. I will no longer, and what's my data for that? My data for me feeling I no longer need to keep that one-to-one -one conversation alive is their growth in the process. They're talking more in practice. They're challenging more. They're calling timeouts. They're stopping me and saying, coach, we got it. Let us go. You know, we're having those, that type of dialogue. Like one of our better guys at this is 18 years old. And he's one of our better guys at this because he's into his third year with this process. Mm. so sometimes and it's 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 annoying actually because it means he's pulling me up and i love it but at the same time i'm like god i missed it again like i'll have a dialogue with somebody and it might be my tone might be firm and like right business-like and uh you know we'll end the dialogue and he'll come over to me and say coach you never fist bumped him and i'll go yeah you're right thanks for that reminder again 
you know so that with him that's my data for knowing mm. some data for knowing that he gets it he truly gets it because he's pulling me up on some of the stuff i asked them to do with each other which is which is great evidence for for where he's at in the journey yeah. oh i think that's that that just challenges me like i have to keep i definitely have had these conversations with the players to to inform them and let them know that we're going to do this in a different way that i value the player-centered approach i don't think they understood at the time what that looked like you know or what that was going to be and i haven't continued to keep the conversation going you know with with mm. with the team and to explore that you know um and i think that 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 you know is we're, we're taking a six-week break here because of covid but like that has got to be something that i'm making time for which i don't have problem making you know like you said five ten fifteen minutes to have these type of conversations so that you can continue to explore that with them i think that's that is something that i, I really want to step up and start doing for sure i don't want to get into practice planning but that stuff should go on a coach's practice plan mm -hmm. so for example like you know, I know Mark talks about individual work-ons or whatever, you know, and you put that on, you know, and I, you've seen some of my practice plans where at the end of the practice plan, there'll be the names of the players and it'll be whatever they need to be focusing on to be better. Their mm -hmm. individual stuff to focus on outside of the team stuff. But stuff like that should go on your practice plan. So player A or player B, <clears throat> for me tomorrow night, what should be on my practice plan is five minutes, just a reminder to myself, five minutes before practice, engage one-to-one -one and ACC athlete centered coaching. So I know I just, I just give myself a reminder that actually I've got to do this as this is just as important as the transition defensive segment I've planned as well. And because why, if, if we're going to do it, then we have to really commit. It has to be an every times thing in terms of trying to get the, mm -hmm. everyone to a baseline level of understanding. Trying to get yeah. everybody to a baseline level of acceptance, because without the uh, without the understanding and the acceptance, forget about the execution. And if I can share with you briefly, JP, you know I found a great example of this in a school I worked in a couple of years ago, probably going back five or six years ago now, where we did that project in a school. We brought in these coaching principles, concepts, this athlete-centered way of coaching, into a classroom environment, academics, education, high school and took on board an English, maths and science teacher, senior leadership member, and a newly qualified teacher. And we were teaching them these concepts of how to have your classroom more engaging and how to have an athlete-centered approach to your student learning with short-term recall, all these different facilitators we put in there, resets, almost like timeouts we have in practice, uh, short-term recall checks, long-term recall checks, um, student engagement in a healthy way, student-to-student -student engagement, all that type of stuff. And the classes we worked with, it was outstanding. The growth from day one till the final day was amazing. The difference, the disparity was, was incredible. The video, when you watch video one and you watch video 36, it's like, wow, is this the same teacher? It was, and because these were, some of these classes were really, really challenging. Like the behavior mm -hmm. was really challenging. Um, and I won't get into how we did it. It's a conversation for another, another show maybe. But when those same students let, and then we did a little mini case study. What are they like now when they go into another classroom? They were back to square one because the teaching style, i.e. the coaching style, 
was different in one environment mm. to the other. It wasn't consistent. There wasn't synergy. So this is my point I want to make. When we're implementing this stuff in our practices, this athlete-centered coaching, those, these interventions, mm. if there's not consistency, and now let me mention assistant coaches, if there's not synergy, yeah. this, this, this is really difficult. This is really, really difficult, not just for you as the head coach, but let's think like a player. It's really confusing for the player. Because one coach is saying that this is acceptable in terms of how I'm supposed to behave as a player and what I'm supposed to be doing and my level of interaction. And this other coach is saying it's, unaccept- it's, 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 it's not acceptable. So you have a confused player there as well. And the system you're using doesn't get its true value. You don't maximize its potential. And mm-hmm. it's very challenging, JP. And now we're talking about working with other assistant coaches or you yeah. being consistent. If you're the only coach in that practice, what's your level of consistency like with implementing these new interventions, let's call them, these new facilitators, these new concepts, just because it doesn't feel like it's working in the first two months, first three months. And then mm-hmm. let me add to this. I'm sorry to go on and on and on here. I feel like I'm talking too much, but I would add one more thing to that process. What, how are we baselining ourselves as coaches with implementing anything? But if, it, if we're talking about this system, this way of coaching, transformational way of coaching, how are we baselining our competency to actually facilitate this in a practice environment? So we're reviewing the players a lot. We're talking about the players a lot on this call, actually. Whereas I think it's more important that we get to a point we arrive to pretty soon or, or very much at the start, baselining ourselves as coaches, talking more about us as coaches, like what value am I bringing to this session with the concepts I'm trying to deliver? What's my delivery like? How much, am, how much for example, how much am I talking versus how much the players are talking? You know, because we mm-hmm. should be arriving to the point, if you're moving along the journey in a healthy direction, with transformational ways of coaching, athlete-centered ways of coaching, then we sh- or the evidence we should be gathering as the weeks go on, as the weeks go on, could be months, could be days, it depends. Every environment is different. Then the athletes should be thinking, communicating as much as the coach and eventually should be communicating more than the coach in those practice sessions. Mm. And this is all this is difficult stuff. Yeah. I even think about that conversation that you sat down on Tuesday and had with your team about what is performance, you know, what's effective coaching look like and having that conversation. And I would say a lot of coaches, myself included, we would struggle to be confident in that conversation. I think it's a, I think you have been doing this for so long. We hear that and it's, it's, you get into those conversations and you get kickback. For instance, you have had enough success over the years that you can have confidence with certain things. I look at it from like in basketball, say you've been teaching some aspect, a tactical aspect of say ball screen defense a certain way. You've done it. You've gotten lots of reps. Now you can speak confidently with conviction. You know, you can ask the right questions. You can help them break it down. You can see it. And I think that's probably where if I was fully transparent and vulnerable, 
that engaging in these conversations is challenging. I'll give you an example here of uh, something that happened in our last training session. I had encouraged our players. We, we spend the, in the first five minutes of training, they can they get into the gym and it's tough here in Ireland because you can't, you're not getting the court earlier. You know, you're coming in from the cold. And so I just say, hey, the first five minutes is on you. And, and we've probably got four players that like to pair up and should get shots up at a basket. They don't want to do dynamic stretching. That's their, their, their call. And the rest want to do dynamic stretching. But I started just kind of see, like, that's not, that's their time, right? But I started to see it just become not, lacked movement. So they really weren't moving enough, in my opinion, and they weren't being intentional. So I kind of encouraged our, 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 our leadership council for people, hey, let's bring more intention and more movement into that today. and my two Americans were kind of just going through the motions, one in particular. And, um, you know, I went up to have a conversation about, Hey, you know, I, I just asked the simple question of like, how's this warm up going? You know, do you feel like th this has been an effective you know, last four minutes here? Yeah. Yeah. More, you know, and I was, and I was, but I, what I didn't, I didn't feel like it was a good, you know, four minutes or five minutes that she had spent there warming up. And so I kind of pushed back a little bit. I was like, really? Like, you know, is, is, is this how you were warming up two months ago when you first showed up here? She, I know it's, it's good. I'm, I'm good. You know, well, following that practice, you know, they challenged me. They said, you know, if you don't feel essentially, they said, if you don't feel like we're doing what we're supposed to be doing, you can just get on us. They were uncomfortable with the question. <laughs> they wanted me just to come in and say, get moving, start warming up, go harder, blah, 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 blah. And I just wanted to have a conversation so they could be reflective, so they could see, well, this isn't actually how I should be warming up. I should be moving harder. You know, I should be with more intention. You know, I, yes. I, and then, but at a deeper level, start to reflect on what is going on. What is going on is, we were in a training where we, you know, just had our game canceled the week before and we were struggling with motivation and focus. And I really want to get them to that point. And I ended up following up a little bit with the conversation because I wanted them to explore that. Of like, I know this is challenging, right? It's challenging to come in to be focused and disciplined. Two months ago was easy because you had the goal of the season. You had this, you had to impress people, look good, look sharp. And here, but, but they struggled. They just wanted to be told what to do. And I wanted to explore that with that with them is really their motivation or lack of motivation there. And it was overall an ineffective conversation by me, just because I think they are just still a little bit resistance or curious to, to why it would be a conversation because they've been told for the last 20 years of their life, just do it. <laughs> just mm. been told what to do, you know, mm. it's, it's incredible. And but the, here is one or the other. You've already touched off of this, but you, you've now really personified it here. Like this is one of the greatest aspects of this way of coaching, because now you're getting them to think, you're getting them to think about making better choices in life. You know, when you turn up to, and you're talking, and you're, you're effectively talking to them about, well, what's your levels of commitment like to stuff that it's not enjoyable that you maybe don't want to do, you don't feel like doing, which is very often going, they're going to experience in their real world when they have children at some point in time, they got to get up in the early hours of the morning to feed the baby 
or they've got to go into a job where they're not feeling really, you know, health uh, positive about it. So not only is it helping them to be better basketball players, you're helping them to unpick the difficult journey of life and to be more robust and to be more resilient with stuff. So I think that's that's one of the other side. Of, that's the other side of the coin with this stuff. But I want to touch off something you said there, JP, in that story, in your your experience from that practice session. When the player said to you, like, we just, you know, it's okay to get on us. Like, we want you to get on us. It's a very common, um, it's a very common pushback from players, especially experienced players. I've had it from one of my guys this year. He's like, coach, you know, I really want you to get on me when I'm not doing well. Like, just really get on me. Like, in other words, he wanted me to shout, shout at him and really ball him out. And I'm like, okay, I can go in that direction, but I won't go in that direction. And respectfully. And let me explain to you why. And my response to him was this, like it is to all the other players I have this with. I said, if I have to get on you about something that you know you should do, but you're not doing. So transition defense, you know you should sprint back. You never need me to tell you that you should sprint back. Would you agree with that? Yes, coach, of course. Because they know the answers to these simple questions. In in one-on-one defense, I mean, you should never really just act lazy. You should commit to staying in front of the ball. Of course, coach. All right. So you know the answers to these basic things we're talking about. But if you're saying to me that you want me to get on you because you're not doing the things that you know you should do, then we've got a bigger problem that we should discuss and we should talk about. It's about what's your level of motivation for, for us to be the best team we can be. And we're not even talking about the me. We're talking about the we. Because the we is bigger than me. I need you to understand that when you're in this environment with us. We, you, the me, you are very important. Your future is very important. But mm-hmm. So it peels itself back to what's their motive to being there, which you now talk about motives. But the other, the, the final point I want to make with this is, I always say to them, guys, if I have to get on you to do stuff that you already know, and I shout at you and you do it, the outcome is positive, right? Yes, coach, it is. Okay, it is because I'm shouting and screaming at you to do it better and to run faster, and you guys do it. But now my worry is this, guys. I'm around you for, let's say you're a high school coach and you practice twice a week in the UK here. Or it doesn't matter if you practice every day. But for those two hours of that day or those 90 minutes, you're around that player and you're dictating what they do and you're dictating and you're driving their energy levels and you're dictating and you're driving their decision making. There's a big worry when they walk out that door and they leave you and the next 22 hours of that day or the rest of their week, who's shouting at them to make the right decision then? Who's, who's mm-hmm. getting on them? Who's boiling them out to make better food choices, to go to sleep, on, to get eight hours sleep, to drink more fluids, to do your homework, to, to listen to your parents, to abide by society's rules, to abide by the law? Who's going to scream and shout at them then? Nobody, pretty much, outside your parents. So my message to these guys is always, if I have to get on you to do the basic stuff on the court, like run back on defense, then I'm worried about the choices you're going to make away from this court when nobody's shouting at you. So you don't mm-hmm. need people then to tell you what's right and wrong when you walk outside this gate or outside this door. You don't need me in here to tell you what's right and wrong in terms of the basic things that you already know. Those type of conversations generally land a certain way. So with some, they have more gravity than others. But I've mm-hmm. found that an effective way to, to have a dialogue with a player 
who says to me, I want you to get on me. I want you to shout. You can get on us more. Mm-hmm. What's your thoughts on that? I, I think your, your line of questioning is like spot on, right? Like that's, that's the conversation that, you know, we talked about consequences as a team. You know, we, we kind of outlined some standards beginning of the year. We talked about consequences and one of my veteran players, 30 years of age in the club for, for quite some time, you know, she's just like, well, I'll tell you what gets us, gets us going is just running us, you know? And I was like, well, can I run you in the game? You know, I'm, and we're not even talking long-term, like you, you, your, your, your line of questioning was, was fantastic. Just can I run you in the game? She goes, no. And, and like, you could just kind of maybe see the light bulb hit, go off in her head, you know, mm-hmm. like that we're, tr- every, I, I try to gain, I haven't gone necessarily down the path of preparing them for life. Like I haven't had that conversation with them, you know, and I think that that needs to come. Um, it's, there's kind of two reasons I, I haven't, I'll explain that in a second, but I have said like geared this, everything that we do in the session needs to prepare us for the game. Like that's what it matters is our performance there. And if I'm having to constantly step and intervene, and stop and start and make adjustments. Like, you know, we're losing some of that, you know, um, it's, it's not, it, it's not going to always lead to a better performance come, come on the weekend, you know? So I tried to tie it in with that, but I, I like your line of questioning, but I want to ask you this because I have probably two reasons. I, I don't feel always comfortable in those with those questions. And one is these questions that have simple answers, right? Like, you know, you, you had some, some, I, I, sometimes I feel, (laughs) and I know other coaches experience this as well, that the players, they just, you don't necessarily get an eye roll, but you can almost feel the eye roll, you know, like, you know, it's just like, come on, let's, you know, this is this really simple question and just, it kind of can come across I think with certain players, it's condescending a little bit. Have you ever experienced that where you just feel like they feel that you're being condescending to them when when you use this type of line of questioning? I was about to say, I was about to cut you off there and say the word condescending when you just said, (laughs) when you just said it. I haven't, JP, I haven't consciously. Now it's probably, there's no doubt it's happened, but Mm. I haven't consciously and I'm not worried about it either. And I'll explain why. Because <clears throat> before I really set that, before, and I haven't, I haven't, what I'm about to tell you, I haven't done this with one player this year. And I told him that in the circle on Tuesday. I apologized to him that I haven't, we're six weeks in, and I, and I feel I failed him in our personal journey one to one so far. But let me explain. I never feel that way interacting with any player because. The day they walk through the door, I invest a lot of time in that individual one-to-one relationship. And I get them to fully understand and know who I am. Now, it doesn't work with every player because of the context. So with the national team, it's really difficult because you get them for four weeks. It's really difficult. So you try to spend some time throughout the year on the phone with them and try to build a relationship. So when they come to you, they feel a little bit safer than they would have done if you hadn't had any interaction with them. So what I'm trying to do with the club players and the academy players I have is, is build, a, build a safe space from day one. 
that's more important than the set offense I'm going to teach them because it will allow me to interact them with the way that's, 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 that's authentic to, for me. I will allow, it will allow me to, to interact in a way who I can be who I am but still have an understanding of who they are and, and the level and depth I can go to with that interaction. But if I do end up becoming condescending with those type of questions, or more importantly, in a pressure moment, because I'm human, just like every other coach, I get emotionally imbalanced and I become frustrated with a player. I, I will back myself saying that that player will accept that from me more because of the time invested in the one-to-one relationship where I'm trying to get, where I'm trying to give myself to that player, like this is who I am. I spend the start of the year telling these guys who I am as a coach and how I coach them. I haven't done it this year and I'm regretful. And my assistant coach said it to me last week. But last year, at the very first week I met these guys, I showed them video of myself coaching at my best, what I considered my best, and at my worst. So mm. I would show the guys timeouts of me just being a real moaner, venter, and just, uh, just not giving them any value, just, off, just verbally vomiting on them because I'm frustrated. I showed last year's guys, I said, guys, look, this is me at my worst. You may experience that this year because that's who I am. And I do have an emotional imbalance at times because the scoreboard affects me because the, the game, I get very invested. I'm, I'm very passionate. And I, I might throw a joke in there and say, like you called me one time, I'm a fiery Irish man with green blood running through my veins coaching in <laughs> England. You know, I might throw a joke in there or whatever, but just to connect a bit more. But I never feel uncomfortable talking with the players about anything because I invest time in them understanding who I am as a person and how I communicate and how I operate and my strengths and my weaknesses. I've shared I've gone through a couple of these. You, you, there's loads of these tools out there, these behavioral tools. And, but there's one or two particular ones I've, I've done that are really good, I think, JP. And I've shared mm-hmm. the results of those with my guys. Like, guys, this, I did this test, this assessment, this behavioral assessment thing last week or past couple of weeks. This was, this was my top five strengths. They said, these are my top five weaknesses. This is what I'm like when I'm at my best. This is what I'm like when I'm at my worst. This is what I'm like in this context. This is what I'm like in that context. I've shared that stuff with our guys. So now when it does become confrontational, I'm comfortable with it. I feel they're comfortable with it for the most part, not all because they're all very different, but we build a relationship so strong that it stands the test of truth. I can get on the guys and they understand my motive because they know how I'm wired. So Mm -hmm. yeah, no doubt players have felt condescending, that it is condescending. No doubt players have felt frustrated. No doubt we've had difficult conversations, but it's never been shied away from because of a deeper level of understanding. And that gets more pure as the season goes on. You know, you don't start the season with that. You can't start the season with that because you just met these people. You just met mm-hmm. these guys. They just met you. But I think it's very important that we, we baseline who we are at the start. We baseline who we are and tell them who we are and share who we are those circle time moments carry more value than, than a new offense you want to put in because the game is going to bring out the best of you and the worst of you because that's the beauty of the game, isn't it? It challenges mm-hmm. and it spikes all our emotions and all mm-hmm. our emotions are on display around those 12 players, you know, in a practice session in the game. And I think, you know, it be, the journey becomes more 
more authentic, more pure, more enjoyable when you have an understanding of, of each and every member in that group. And then it's a down to your back to emotional intelligence, which you talk about a lot, JP. You got to meet them where they're at sometimes, which means you have to be better with your emotions because I know that person and that player is a bit more sensitive to that type of questioning. I got to meet them where I'm at. And that's your master coach who's able to control that, in my opinion. Mm. Yeah. No, I, I think that's absolutely fascinating, being able to show them film of you at your best and you at your worst. Like, I think that's, that's probably really, really powerful because you're trying to, in many ways, educate them on what you believe effective coaching is, you know, where, where you try to go and where you try to, what, what you try to avoid. I'd love to see, you know, as we kind of just unpack these things in these sessions, just, just to see some of, of, of your team in action. I know you put together a few clips and stuff because I'd love to see and unpack how your team is progressing there. Um, because I think it's very hard for me right now to really, you talked about baseline. Am I improving? Am I growing as coach, coach? And, and are, are my players improving? And I think that that's, that's probably where I have a hard time, you know, noticing growth at this stage, you know, it's been two months into it, 25 practices in, and that's probably what keeps me up at night. It's not, our lack of buying the offense. We've just, they've just really adapted well to that defensively. We've got some things to cover, but when it comes to this player centered approach, I don't know if we're necessarily on, 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 on target as far as where I, where I had hoped us to be, you know? Well, if there's any comfort, if I can give you any comfort, I'm doing this for 10 years and I'm still, <laughs> not, and I'm still not, I'm still not, not that I'm not sure. I'm still not happy. I'm still searching. There's a better way to do this and I can be better with this. And I can, Honestly, JP, like I drive home from practices and sometimes I don't do it all the time. I'll all, like we record all the sessions, but I sometimes will put a microphone on my phone and just mic myself up because I, you know, I have an hour's drive ahead of me to get home at nine o'clock at night. And I listen to myself driving home. Sounds egotistical, but I'm doing it because I'm curious. How did I land? If I just don't see the video, how do, what do I sound like? I sometimes it's hard to listen to. Like, you know, so I'm still trying to find ways to do this better still trying to find ways to be more consistent and i need support around me like i'm doing this for 10 years buddy and i and i still need support like you know i had a lot of support from mark bennett which you're aware of Mm -hmm. but actually i can tell you now when he's there i coach better because i know he's got a critical eye with this stuff better than my assistant coaches so he'll pull me up or challenge me with great questions and about well Talk me through what you've just done there in that last phase of play with those guys. What was what value did you get out of? What value did they get out of it? Like, what what was your communication like? What are you going to be scanning for now after that interaction, that dialogue? Um, are they are you letting them off the hook too much here? Like, you know, are, have they are they are they keeping the non-negotiables alive? Like loads of boom, 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 and I'm kind of going, God, I should be able to juggle all this. And at times I feel like, oh, I've dropped the ball here, I've dropped the ball there. Now I'm not juggling five balls, I'm juggling two and okay, that's enough. Maybe I can pick up a third one. So, hey, I'm still on this journey after every practice. I still, I still think about my coaching after every session. And there's, there's very often some things I wish I did better, you know. But if you want, mm-hmm. I can share a video. I can share a video of like, I can bring a video up here that shows one of our players calling a timeout. And mm-hmm. I, can sh- talk, I can, what I'll do after we show the video 
I'll just identify what my role was in this player timeout and why why we call the player timeout. Should we go in that direction, JP? Yeah, yeah, because we had a player call timeout last Tuesday in our session, and I thought yeah. that was a huge win to get there. I mean, 24 practices in, we finally get it, but we got it, you know? Yeah. And uh, I was about to step in, so I'm curious what that looks like and how I can better facilitate that. And I think that you showing some film would definitely help, so. Super. Let me just let me just bring it up here. Um, and just give me a thumbs up if you can hear the sound, which you should be able to. Okay. Are you seeing a PowerPoint presentation? I do, yes. Yeah. Okay. All right. Let me let me give you the context first. Okay. This is the academy. This is an academy team. So these guys are 16 to 18. Mm -hmm. um, at the start of the practice session, you know, we'll talk about the success criteria and all that stuff. And we'll get into that in another episode, you know, practice planning, success criteria and, and different segments. But I tell them inside in the segment of practice, guys, you have two timeouts per team. And then I'll give them a time frame. Or it could be one timeout per team in this five, 10 minute segment, whatever we're working on. And I'll say to them, you have 30 seconds in this timeout. As soon as the time is up, we're going. So I'm putting the ball on the floor and we're going. So they have to practice having an economy of words in these timeouts. Mm -hmm. What they mm -hmm. can't do and what they do very early on, JP, what they do very early on is they go into these timeouts and they moan at each other and they get frustrated with each other. So, and that's fine. You have to let that, you have to go through that storming phase before you get into the norming and performing phase. Mm -hmm. And Sometimes the other, I'm trying to give you the, the, what the obstacles along the way are. Other times they call a time, very often they call a timeout. Like my senior players are doing this all the time now at the moment. They'll call a timeout and they'll talk about something that, what, that has nothing to do with the success criteria of this 20-minute segment of practice. So if we're working on defending off-ball screens, very often our senior players will talk about what, what we should be doing on offense. And my, my only job there is, and you'll see me in a moment, I've got the blue shirt on. My only job mm -hmm. is to stand next to that group, listen to what they're talking about, make sure that they're online with what the success criteria is. So sometimes I have to say, hey, guys, stop right there for a second. Remind me what the success criteria is of this 20 minutes. Oh, defending off-ball screens, coach. Okay, so that's the only thing you should be talking about. You have 15 seconds left. You know, and it's just a realignment. Now, they may come out of that timeout, JP, in the first few weeks with no value added. And that's all right, because inside my head, the success criteria during these timeout moments is number one, they're getting used to actually coming together without the coach. Number two, they're getting comfortable talking to each other in small groups of five and six. Number three, that somebody's starting to say stuff that's adding value. And number four, but I'm just making this stuff up as we go along in terms of numbers, but Eventually, they're starting to come out of the timeout and they're executing the stuff they talked about. Or, sorry, let me rephrase that. They're trying, they're, they're intentionally trying to execute the stuff they talked about. And that's where my job is, is just to scan. What did they talk about in the timeout? And are they trying to bring that to life? So let me play this through. And I, and, and I guess if you want to stop me at some point or we can replay it, maybe there'll be a couple of questions that may surface, surface with you as it plays. Okay. 
So that was about 40. That's a minute timeout we're giving them. Now, can I, can I just a few observations before do, we, can I, we go into it? One of the things I like, and this might sound, I don't know, like it's just, it's really important, is how quickly they get into that timeout is really important. There's a sense of urgency. When I look at what, are, what we have, when our players call the timeout their day. You know, there, there isn't that sense of urgency to, to, you know, get in there quickly. But I like that you're 30 seconds, you know, you're firm with that. So they have to really get in there and, and discuss. Um, I, I just, that's my first takeaway was, was they did a really nice job, job of that. And that doesn't happen by accident. Like we, we, we put it in one of our, I think one of our non, it wasn't a non-negotiable, but it gets talked about a lot. So it's becoming a non-negotiable just by um, as time goes on, we call it lag time. Like there's no, so basically the end of one action needs to become the beginning of the next action. So there's a fluency in the session. It's a bit like a jump shot. The end of one action mm -hmm. becomes the beginning of the next. And we, we call it lag time. Like we're trying to erase mm -hmm. as much lag time as possible. So besides talking about Hey, with no lag time, is there other things that you've done to just kind of encourage or kind of get them to, to be quick on that? Well, at, th at this stage, they know that if when it comes to the end of the time, like I'm putting the ball on the floor and whatever team gets out there and takes that ball goes when the time is up, if, if they're late. So, for example, I'll, I'll always give them a countdown. Maybe I'll show another video another time where I'm going right five, four, three, mm -hmm. two, one. Whoever's ball it's supposed to be, if they're not there by the time I get to one, the other team can come and take it. So they can lose a possession. So you mm -hmm. give them that sense of urgency because of a constraint in there or some sort of rule or whatever. But the other, the other reason these guys run in is they're, anx they're eager to talk. Like, people like to talk. And when you give them the freedom to talk and to practice, to be a leader, some guys really, and this, becomes, this can become a bit detrimental to others, some guys love these moments because they like they want to talk. They overpower it. And that's another mm. topic. I don't know if it's a topic yeah. for now, but that's another a whole topic. other topic. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Because I've, uh, I've got that as well. Just the, the, the older players or there's just the stronger. And honestly, it's not always the players that are talking that need to be talking. There's other players that are more quiet. They're, they see things better, you know. And, and if we get into that another time, like yeah, you yeah. as a coach have a significant role to play in that. And there is strategies to put in place. Um, anything else from the timeout that jumped out to you, JP? There's a couple of things I can talk yeah. on, but I'll put it your way, please. I've always been uncomfortable, a little uncomfortable, when they're having their timeouts. Like, you do a nice, I noticed you kind of come over and you're listening in, you know? And I'm not, I'm listening in, but I'm trying to be just the fly on the wall. I'm not really interjecting. And then I'm just coming in and saying, hey, what did you okay, what'd you guys come up with? Like you need to focus on like, so I might ask them to recap and communicate that to me. And that usually is a pretty good indicator of, for me, of did they have an effective timeout, you know, in that one minute, usually I give them a minute because if they're able to clearly communicate, oh, we're going to work on this, or we need to do this better. Then I'm like, all right, they got to something, you know, mm -hmm. like that they have to correct. Sometimes they'll be like, well, you know, humming and hawing, and they'll give you like three or four things. You go, well, that didn't get anything out of that, right? That was complete waste. But what you're doing there is, you know, you even said before, 
if they're off point, they're not talking about the success criteria, you bring them back to that. And um, I think that just watching that, I'm like, I need to do a much better job of being you know, right there with them and then interjecting when they're not, when they're struggling, right? When they're struggling mm -hmm. in those moments. What I, what I would say in these moments here, what I would say to them, I think I was around here somewhere behind this kind of mm -hmm. black shirt. Yeah. I'll just listen. And, and I've only got two jobs here. <clears throat> Number one, you've talked about it. Realign them to the success criteria if they need it. And my last job is to say to them at the end, show me. That's all. So now my expect, their expectation, they know now, right, coach is going to go on the sideline, baseline, wherever, and he's scanning for us bringing to life what we discussed in this timeout, very much like we do in a game. We give them stuff in a timeout and then expect them to bring it to life. So mm -hmm. I always finish their timeout with, okay, good job, guys. Now show me. And I want them to feel responsibility to actually try to, to have intention to execute what they spoke about. They don't, have to, they don't have to get it right. They just have to. Success is you show me that you're trying to deliver what you talked and planned for. They don't have to be able to, to, to execute it with a made basket or a successful defensive mm -hmm. set, uh, play. They just have to show intent. That's success. And then I'll give them a thumbs up and say, great job, guys. Great job mm -hmm. trying to execute what you did. What, wonderful. And now we're celebrating the stuff that we want them to embrace, which is their voice, their plan, their thinking. Because remember, we're doing this to enhance decision-making. We're doing this to enhance their critical eye. We're doing this to enhance collaborative approach to a session where they're working and thinking and acting their way collectively through a performance. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. No, that's great. Yeah, what else did you take away uh, from that that you kind of wanted to share? I, um, again, it's, I guess it's geared more towards assistant coaches, you know, for, mm. for, for us lucky enough to have an assistant. Um, and if my assistant here, who's brilliant with this stuff, he's so, you should see this guy with the under 10s and 12s with this athlete centered coaching principles, concepts. He is, a, I love watching those under 10s and 12 sessions because they're right before our men's practices. And to be honest with you, I'm, I'm in those 10s and 12 sessions going, God, I just want to watch two more hours of this instead of doing our practice. It's fun because it's pure. It's really pure, JP. It's very authentic because the under 10s and 12s don't know any different. It's such a clean canvas. And they really embrace all these concepts and principles. But at this stage, he was pretty, you know, at this stage here, working with the older players, I've, and I've communicated this to him, he was talking too much to them. Now, he sh the only thing you should see the coach say in that moment is, remind me what the success criteria is, or you should see the coach say nothing. Mm -hmm. Whereas there's a, there was a dialogue going on here the whole time. There was a dialogue going on here the whole time. The second thing I will add, and, I, and I, this recording, I should have clipped it longer, so apologies for that. I'll, if we are ever to do this again, show more videos of timeouts and stuff, I'll, I'll make sure I keep in the ending. It's very, very important that they, because this, this dialogue is healthy in terms of there's no conflict. There's no resistance to what this player talks to this player about a ball screen action, about spacing and where to go and where it starts, middle, middle third ball screen. And he's very accepting of this player communicating to him. But sometimes you have players where it's not as easy. They're not as compliant and they'll challenge each other. This is, these are golden moments that we must embrace. 
because now mm-hmm. they're digging deep down into it. It's not just compliancy anymore for the sake of compliancy, which it can be sometimes with those dominant players. We'll get into another time, as we said. But what you should, should have seen at the end of this clip is all those guys hand touch. Okay, COVID, we're fist bumping, we're elbow touching. But you should, this interaction, this interaction has to always finish with a hand touch. So actually, sorry, there's a third, there's a third responsibility of the coach in these moments. I've given you two responsibilities. Realign them if necessary, show me at the end, but also remind them of a touch if they don't, because we want to finish all interactions, all communication, coach to player, player to coach, player to player with a fist bump. We always want to finish it with a fist bump, with a touch, just to say, I accept what you've talked about. Mm-hmm. You, know? you guys are doing the elbows during COVID? Yeah, we're doing the elbow stuff, you know, like forearms, yeah. stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, I love that. That's great. That's great. It's just, just, just something simple, but you can just, you can take a lot from that one. For sure, for sure. Um, I, I, I'm going to resist the urge to show you another video. Mm-hmm. Um, unless you feel we should, or would you want to take this in another direction? Is it, what's the other video on? The other video is basically a player pregame. You know, you get that minute and a half where the players come in. Yeah, and us yeah. as coaches, we, we drop a set play for first play of the game, or we say, right, guys, remind, <laughs> remind me the keys to the game. Or, you know, we give a bit of a, you know, any given Sunday type speech in 90 seconds and send the players yeah, out yeah. there spiked and really hyped and ready to go. <laughs> what we do in this moment is I pass it. To, I, I don't always do it, and I wish I would. And this is where I say to you, I'm not getting this right, JP. Mm-hmm. I'm very good at understanding the value, the theory, the concepts. I'm very good at bringing them to life in practice. I'm very good at doing it sometimes in games. I'm not very good at being consistent. Mm. So what I want, and this is where I'm lacking support, I like having somebody there. Um, and this is the enjoy. This is the, the enjoyment of this journey, going along this journey with you, is actually you'll snipe me on some of this stuff as we go along these shows. But in this video, I would have shown you that was 90 seconds before we go on court when the referees tell the teams go to the bench. You would have seen one player. Oh, I guess I'll show it to you now, actually. Yeah, you'll, go ahead. You, you'll see a player challenge, uh, remind the players what's important for us as a team, mm-hmm. um, which is not tech tack, by the way. And you'll see him. Tech tack is a result of what he reminds them of. And you'll see him. You'll see him holding the bench accountable to what they should do mm-hmm. so let me stop talking and um it's it's very short video jp but there's there's two key messages in there okay. let me share that again jp so i can um, make sure the sound is on mm-hmm. sorry about it What our focus is going to be behaviors. on literally your yeah, behaviors and it all starts with how we start the game because normally we start slow then we have to build it up. Yeah. Let's start, like he says, we don't build up to a commitment. Let's start committed in all the actions. Focusing on keeping the guy in front of you, on ball pressure and bench or guys on the court. If you don't see us doing it, you see us lapsing. If you see us lapsing, then say it straight away. Don't let it get to like midway through that we call a timeout and we talk about it. Let's literally go from the first possession. Let's try and get in, get into them. 
let me give you the context of this before you, you say anything, JP. I'm very mindful when I show when I show timeouts that you know this could be scripted, you know, this could be set up, but I could send you, and I think you know this from our conversations, I could send you every timeout, every pregame, postgame, halftime video of every game I've coached for the past four years. National team, academy team, division one men's team. Because I record, I get my team manager or assistant coach or an injured player, whoever's there, mostly it's the team manager, to record those moments because I want to review them the next day before I review the game. Mm -hmm. So this is just one of those timeouts. But I'm interested in your thoughts or takeaways just from that 20-second interaction there. I find it interesting. It's not as clean in, in certain areas. I don't know if that's the right word of like everyone's just kind of, you know, people are getting ready, they're heading out there, you know, so you wonder, are people really taking in what he's saying? But I, I you know, I think that would be one thing that would kind of jump out at me there. Yeah. But obviously the message that he's delivering, you really like, you know, like it's yeah. really, it's really seems to be spot on as far as just getting guys to, Hey, you know, hold us accountable on that. Like if, if you don't see us be committing right from the get go, you know, say something, do something. So you really like his message. Um, yeah, I guess those would be my two initial first takeaways. And uh, Perfect. Absolutely brilliant. You've nailed it as well, because if you, first of all, his two takeaways are really important and they're really, they're really, really important for the environment I'm trying to build. Number one, we don't warm up to commitment, he said. We start committed to the choices you make. So he's talking about a behavioral aspect. Mm -hmm. Like he's not talking about, hey, first offense, second offense. We're, we're playing from inside, outside, back inside. He's not talking about that. He's talking. So he's fully bought in. And this, this guy is brilliant with this stuff. We're talking about behavior first, performance second is what he's saying. And he's, then he's, he's, he's talking about the bench being better with challenging the players on the court during moments they feel the guys on court are unacceptable so those two messages are really good what you've picked up on is brilliant if you look at this player who's who's getting a lot better with this at this moment in time like this is on he's unsure he's not connected either which doesn't mean that it's not going in it doesn't mean it's not having an effect but the data i'm gathering is similar is the same as the data you're gathering I wonder how invested other guys are in this moment. And is it having the impact and the effect that I would like to think it's having? So in these moments, like if I was a better coach, I've got to be asking, and this is why I record this stuff. I've got to be asking myself, what would I do differently the next time in this moment to get over the feeling I'm having and the, the worry I'm having of, is this impactful for everybody or just the person talking? Mm -hmm. What I would do differently is this. I would say to that player there, number 14, all right, buddy, would it, in five seconds, can you just remind me what, what, what number 12 just said? Go. And I would be going like this with my hands. So now I'm putting him under pressure cognitively. But maybe it exposes him in front of everybody else, which is fine, which is fine. It's, mm -hmm. it's, it's reality. But the next time, he'll probably pay attention more. Now, it's not about me cracking the whip. It's about me explaining to him one-to-one, -one, if he wasn't listening, the importance of what it's, it's about explaining to him what effective communication is. Again, that's another show. What's effective communication? 
What's the value of what this number, number 12 player is talking about? So for me in this moment in time, I should be sniping, not necessarily the talker, but the listeners. And are they engaged? Because very often players are looking down in this moment, fixing their shoes, fixing their clothing, whatever. And, they're, and I've learned the hard way that they are listening. They are engaged. But I've made a judgment just them because of their body language that they're disengaged. In previous, and, I, and I'll hold my hands up and, and show some vulnerability here, I've been awful, JP. I've had a pop at players. I've got on players. I've bought players out because they, were, they weren't looking at me when I was talking or they weren't looking at the person who was talking. And because they look disengaged, I've had a go with them. But actually, when I've asked them to, to share what they've heard or what that person just said, they give it back to me verbatim, word for word. They were completely engaged. So again, mm. it's been mindful of, I guess, pre-game, guys are feeling a bit anxious maybe, where yeah. they're at at this moment in time, you know? Yeah, that's something I definitely want to unpack with you is, is that last piece you just shared there too. I want to unpack that another day as well, which is the expectations around listening, right? Like when you're in those timeouts or in those huddles, right? Like you said, they could be listening. But should that be an expectation that they show us they're listening? You know, like, I think that I have a hard time as a communicator, and as a coach, if people aren't, if people are fidgeting and moving, I have a really hard time getting over that. They could be listening, but I don't feel like they're listening. And I get, I can get hung up on that. And I can really deflate my confidence in what I'm saying. I think we got to unpack that at some stage too, man. Did you ever play for a coach that said, that forced you to look at him when when he was talking. Did you oh, yeah. receive that type of communication? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Growing up, that was like huge, right? Yeah, and and I and I did as well. And I started out coaching that way. And let me share some context. I coached at a school in West London. Um, mm -hmm. The cultural makeup is very. Um, it's a high percentage of um, Asia and Far East Asian. Um, students in that school and in a lot of their countries it's actually respectful to look down and mm. i went in there's a basketball coach and i'm coaching these kids for the first time and i'm and i'm having a go with them for not making eye contact with me while i'm while mm. i'm talking and i'm doing it in a what could be perceived to that kid as very aggressive way and very aggressive fashion but in fact what i was doing was actually the opposite of what they thought was respectful and it was a real eye-opener at the time when the penny dropped and somebody else said it to me. I was like, oh, my gosh, wow, yes, you're absolutely right. How ignorant of me. Mm. Um, but I, and I think that's, that comes down to judgment and, and filtering. Like, like there's a whole topic in itself that would be an amazing discussion, JP. The impact of having filters on our coaching, our coaching delivery, our perceptions. Our, our team selections, mm -hmm. our player selections, like the impact of us having filters. And actually, on the flip side, the, the impact of us not having filters. And I could share some stories where it's really helped me to not filter somebody based on somebody else's experience with that person. Mm -hmm. So I, you're back to filtering. Like, you know, what, at what point do we have to cast aside judgment? You know, and I'm not talking about, you know, the Buddhist way of living where, you know, you, you try not to have an opinion on stuff because as humans, it's, it's, we are going to have an opinion. Of course, we're going to have an opinion as coaches. It's, 
we select players based on opinions, but it's the it's the impact of a filter because of somebody else's experience with somebody that I think we've got to be very mindful. And when we're talking about players, we have that a lot. Mm-hmm. When we're talking about styles of coaching, like we're on here talking about athlete-centered coaching, transformational coaching. Well, we're actually filtering somebody else about that. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I would urge that person, well, to go away and do a bit more research and see if this works for you. Don't do it because we're filtering you. Go away and have your own experience and make, up, make your own judgment on it. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. No, I, I appreciated that film. That was good. That was good, man. Good I think one thing I know I want to unpack in our next um, next session, you know, is when we're rolling this out, we've, we've had the conversation before, but I'm still unsure of it. I think you can help me with this. I think we can unpack the idea of understanding early on you have to deliver certain amounts of content and instruction and you're trying to do this athletes led and you're trying to ask questions but they don't know the answers because you haven't taught it yet i think we got to unpack that because i think that's really really important for coaches as they're getting getting going on their seasons too you know i i think that would be a next natural progression because what we've done here is kind of open the door to what the the value of athlete center coaching what it could look like um, yeah. the barriers that come with it, the obstacles. But what you're talking about now is that's perfect, JP. I think you that's brilliant, mate. If we go in that direction with the second session, it links to this one. When we can reference this one a lot, actually, inside yeah. in that second session, because that becomes the biggest barrier, right? When do I stop talking? When do I start talking? Like now I'm trying to be an athlete centered coach, but they don't know what we want to do, blah, blah, blah. I think it's brilliant, mate. I think that would be a great second session. You've nailed it there, actually. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I just kind of write my notes down here. You just did like you talked about, there's the coach led and there's that athlete led and it's, it's a progression, you know, and I think you actually have to start a little bit from the coach led and we can jump into that for sure next session. So this has been great, bud. We definitely have to start with like telling before we get into discussion and asking like telling is like, there is a sliding scale and there is a spectrum. We, we should move along. And feel comfortable but knowing what the path looks like so yeah start with the end this is what i want it to look like and if you peel it back where do you actually start from you start from telling because you're telling them how to do stuff and then you're building the journey along self-sufficiency yeah. self-managing anyway i'm just waffling on but i think you've nailed it in terms of what the second session should be but all right coaches if you found this valuable i'd encourage you to actually check out uh, the youtube Uh, channel thrive on challenge Uh, we've got this session uploaded there you can see the film that alan was showing there session two is being recorded on wednesday it'll be released on the culture builders by saturday Uh, but you can also watch it on youtube there's gonna be a lot of film uh, showing some of the interventions that that we're using and we're trying to work on uh, with our team so really encourage you to check out that on youtube also in the details this episode also, also on social media on a TOC newsletter, I'm going to be posting a link to a Google form where you can let us know if you're interested in joining the sideline series moving forward after episode uh, or session two, where you can literally be on the Zoom call with Alan as we're going through it and we're having this conversation. You can ask questions, you can share insights. Like we'd love for you to be a part of that uh, if you're interested. So don't hesitate to reach out.